Welcome to Work Like a Witch. My name is Caitlin Matanley, business coach for the witches. Witches do business differently, and I'm here to help you make money like magic. If you're exhausted and bored by your business, it's just because you've forgotten who you are. After all, you aren't one of the normal people. You are a witch. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Work Like a Witch. This is Caitlin, and this is life without social media. (laughs) I am day 10 um, of my social media sabbatical, which I'm taking until the middle of January. If you want to hear more about that, you can check out the last episode. Um, And I have to say, it's been a little anticlimactic. (laughs) It's so funny because you know, and who knows, this may still happen, but I think that it's so easy to put expectations on these experiments. You know, I'm a big fan of doing experiments on our lives. I think it's a really great low pressure under normal circumstances way to just play around with our habits, the things we feels our, we fill our days with and whatnot. And it was really cool when you, you know, embark on one of these little experiments. Sometimes they may be intuitively led. Like I just knew that I was going to be taking a social media sabbatical at the end of this year. (laughs) It was a directive from God. (laughs) So sometimes that may be, you know, what you experience, but sometimes you may just be a little curious what would happen if you did X thing or didn't do X thing for X amount of time. And I love approaching personal change like an experiment because I don't really believe that anything is static. I believe that things are always changing and that is the opposite of static, right? I feel like static. It's like one of those words people use a lot and I'm not sure if they always use it correctly. (laughs) Well, anyway, you get my point. Um, So they, you know, I think it's important to look at the things in our lives and someone just play around. Like what would happen if I did or didn't do a certain thing for a certain period of time and just see, because sometimes we need to just make a little shift. Sometimes we come across something we just don't want to do anymore, possibly ever. Sometimes we have something we just need to break from. And it's a little hard to know what, where the habit or the thing is on that list without getting some experience of being without it, of going without or of doing the thing or whatever, you know, (laughs) this isn't, isn't about deprivation. It's just about, you know, we all know the things in our lives that we, where we're not really showing up at our full potential, we'll say. And I even want to be careful with that language because I think there's a lot of pressure to always show up to your full potential. And it's really just not necessary to do that. Um, but it's like, you know, the thing that is maybe the edge for you, the next frontier. I like to approach it like that, like the edge, because sometimes the edge is doing something. Sometimes it's not doing something. Sometimes it's moderation, whatever, et cetera. Anyway, this is a long way of me saying that my social media sabbatical has been a little anticlimactic and I realized it's because I'd put these expectations on it. Um, partially because of other people talking about their sabbaticals and all the divine downloads they received and everything. And honestly, um, 
it's just been kind of normal life. <laughs> still waiting on the downloads, still waiting for the life-changing introspection. Well, I have had some epiphanies, I will say. But, you know, maybe it's because I really wasn't actually that addicted to social media and I'll return to using the way I was. Who knows? We still have like over a month left of the sabbatical. So anything could happen. Anything could happen. Anyhow, um, while I'm on the sabbatical, my email list is really the big point of contact um, for what's going on with me. And, I, and I'm and i really enjoying sharing some different types of content there than I have in the past and stuff that's a little more personal. It's really fun. So if you're not on the list, you're going to want to get on, especially because I'm going to tease something little something special I'm doing for the people on the email list so you're going to want to get on the link is in the show notes for this episode to get on the email list into my email coven as I call it um but you know this podcast is also another way I I love to communicate with you all and I'm going to be changing the structure of this podcast as well so I guess the epiphanies are coming the clarity is coming Sometimes it's just more subtle, you know, <laughs> than you're expecting. <laughs> it's not always the voice of God. Anyway, so this podcast is going, I love doing this podcast. Um, we, I do usually take my end of the season break around this time. However, I'm actually going to be moving into a different structure with the podcast. And again, it's going to be an experiment. Let's just see how it feels where I'm not going to have any posting schedule. <laughs> So what this is going to look like, normally you can see new episodes most Fridays, um, or you can hear new episodes, you don't see anything. Um, But what I'm going to be doing, I I have some things coming on the pipeline, I'm not going to get into them now because they're still in the wait and see stage. However, I do really feel the pull to take some space from the podcast. I'm going to be doing that. I'm not sure after this episode when the next episode will air. However, keep me in your subscribed list because you will be getting new episodes from me. Um, But they're going to be just coming really as I have something big to say, honestly. I'm still going to be doing some interviews, but I'm going to be instead of really structuring them as a... um, you know, usually I do like X amount of interviews at the beginning of the season, and then I space those out over the next several weeks. I'm going to be really just allowing them to flow, talking to people when it feels like it's a message you all need to hear. Because one thing I have really learned during this social media sabbatical so far is that we really, really, really clutter our our vortexes with messaging and I no longer desire to put content out there just to put it out I mean I feel like everything I put out say every episode I put out of this podcast it has a purpose but there has always been a certain amount of pressure behind it that I feel kind of dilutes the intention and so I'm going to be experimenting with like I said having a bit of a more abstract posting schedule so you will be getting new episodes. I'm not going to end this season. Normally I would, um, but it has been a bit of a shorter season. So instead, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep posting podcast episodes when they come through. So I'm also going to be branching out into some other types of media. So be on the lookout for that. Again, you want to get on my email list. You want to get into the email coven because you're going to hear about everything that's happening there, especially 
a special holiday gift I'm offering only to my email coven between, well, I, I launched it to them a week ago, but the offer ends tomorrow. So today's Thursday. I'm recording this intro. Tomorrow is Friday. Let's be real. If you hear this podcast episode, you can send me an email and let me know. Ask me if it's still running. I may run it till like Saturday, you know? <laughs> but just send me a message. Um, but this is only if you're in my email coven. If you're not in my email coven, you can get into my email coven by clicking the link in my show notes. It's really easy. Um, but basically, I'm going to give you a couple hints. It's a super special holiday offer. It's a super early bird price up to 50% off for something that I am opening to the public in January and that starts March 1st. Ten of Pentacles, my business mastermind. Okay, I'm not going to give you any more details because I've already given you way too many. Like I said, you have to be on the email list to get this offer. It is super time sensitive. So if you're listening to this episode over the next couple of days, get on the email list and drop me an email. My email address is in the show notes. So you can just send me an email and say, hey, what are the details? Because I've been sending details out all week to my email coven about this special holiday gift I'm offering. It's something really, really special about my next um, round of my six-month business mastermind, Ten of Pentacles. And if you you know join the list today or tomorrow, you may miss the emails. So once you're on the list, send me an email directly. Isn't it fun? Like, we're just temporarily escaping the days of DMs, although I do love DMs, and sending mail. I mean, not really. It's an email, but, you know, feels like mail. <laughs> it feels like mail. It's fun to me. Send me an email. Ask for the details. If you were really excited about the Mastermind last session, we're still in, we're still running the current session, but the last time it launched, if you're really excited about it and you told yourself next time I'm totally in, or if you messaged me to tell me that, a lot of people did, you do not want to miss this. Like I said, it's a time-sensitive holiday offer for my email coven only. So two steps. You want to get on the list if you're not on already. And whether you are on already or you just got on, send me an email. Or if you have already been on the list, you can just respond to one of my emails and ask for the details, ask how you can get the offer, okay? Sounds good. All right, well, let's get into this interview for today. This is going to be really helpful for all of you who are out there, who are who have been making your businesses work all year. Maybe you had a quote-unquote day job. And COVID um, destroyed its future <laughs> or maybe you're working from home and you're using that extra time or maybe you were commuting beforehand, working on your business. A lot of people are in a position where they either have been forced to quit their day job or they really, really want to and it feels more possible than ever before. So this episode is going to really, really help you all with that and just give some background on what it really means to be an entrepreneur um, and grow a business that's based on your personal values 
rather than the values of capitalism that you may not agree with. So I'm so excited to slide into the interview now. I will see you all or I'll talk to you all on the other side. Hello, everybody. Today, I am here with Eleanor Whitney. Eleanor Whitney is a Brooklyn-based author, editor, speaker, and community builder. They work with visionary companies to grow their audience, articulate their brand vision and values, and increase engagement by creating impactful, high-quality content and build robust, authentic communities. So you know there are some buzzwords there that we love here on the show, authenticity, impact, and I really got the impression when I first started talking to Eleanor that their work was all about really helping people, helping creatives step into their authenticity and create something that can really change the world. So I invited Eleanor to be on the show. Eleanor is the author of Grow, How to Take Your Do-It-Yourself Project and Passion to the Next Level and Quit Your Job. And that is going to be re-released actually right now. It has just been re-released as Quit Your Day Job. And Eleanor is also just released their workbook, the Quit Your Day Job workbook, both on Microcosm Press. So welcome to the show, Eleanor. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Fabulous. Let's just dive in today. I would love for you to open. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, how your work came to be. You can feel free to include your pronouns and social identifiers and just allow us to get to know you a little bit more. Certainly. So my name's Eleanor. As you said, I use she and her pronouns also open to they and them. Uh, A friend of mine always says, I don't care about labels. I think labels can also sometimes be powerful and important if we're claiming them for ourselves, but I'm flexible as well. I grew up in Maine and I've been living in Brooklyn, New York for almost 20 years. And I'm also in the process of dividing my life between Brooklyn and the high desert in Southern California. Um, My background is really in self-publishing and zine making. I'm a writer. I've always identified as a writer since I was very young age, but as a teenager, interested in writing, but also in punk rock and coming into being interested in activism, I realized that if I wanted to get my writing out to the world, I would have to find a way to do it myself. You know, I was not in a position at that time to, you know, pitch a book to a publishing house or even know how that process worked. So when I discovered zines, which are small self-published magazines, around the same time, I also discovered Riot Girl and feminism. And this is in the 1990s. It all kind of came together uh, to be sharing my writing with a network of young, mostly young women that I built up over time and also opening my eyes to intersectional feminism, to how you could apply activism to your everyday life. And that really changed my life and has sort of stayed with me as I've studied uh, cultural studies in undergraduate, got my master's in public administration. Um, I'm currently getting my MFA in nonfiction creative writing at Queens College and working in the arts and then working in tech startups, building communities, working as an educator and working as a marketer and content strategist. So I'm 
pretty busy. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm also a musician and I've played in bands for many years and organized a lot of shows and events and tours and was an organizer and founder of the Portland Zine Symposium, which is a gathering for zine makers, which has gone on for many years. I haven't been involved since the mid 2000s, but it's really cool to see projects you start or help start, grow, and evolve. So that's just some of the many experiences I bring to this book and who who make me who I am. <laughs> I love it. You, I have a theory that actually all of the zine makers grew up and became the bloggers and entrepreneurs. <laughs> because actually, I, I also was a zine maker in high school. And yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you bring that up because it really is... In fact, I even wrote about my zine to get in, into college for my college admission essay. Amazing. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I think when you're somebody who at a young, relatively young age is used to deciding they want to do something and taking the steps to make it happen, even if at the time those steps were just, you know, typing things up and cutting them out and, you know, copying and pasting them on, fo- on um, you know, Xeroxed documents that you would take then take to Kinko's. I don't know if you have Kinko's where you are. <laughs> um, we definitely had Kinko's uh, growing up in Maine and in Portland, Oregon, where I lived. And uh, I guess now they're FedEx Kinko's or just FedEx um, office. But I also had lots of, I don't know if you did like Kinko's scams, which no longer work now that they just take your debit card. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I remember they're all, they're all these like zines about how to make your zine for free. Like it's yeah. copy <laughs> Oh, it's the end of an era, but we've evolved. Now we have the internet and, you know, that really, it really has brought so many people other opportunities that, you know, I was just thinking the other day how when I was growing up and I was getting interested in, you know, what you talk about DIY culture, or I was getting into witchcraft and all these different topics, there weren't the resources there are today. And while there may have been these little independent zines that maybe you could get your hands on if you had, you know, access to the right record store or something like that, Mm -hmm. it is also beautiful that now there is all of this information available and amazing books like your own that can be published. It's so exciting. It is really exciting. And I've been thinking about this a lot, uh, especially in the context of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement that's you know been happening for almost the past decade, but has really surged in consciousness, which and many more people taking action, which is so exciting. And I was thinking about access to a lot of the resources that have been shared, that some of these books and these thinkers that kind of underline pursuit of racial justice and understanding of whiteness and in this culture and how it's been assembled were hard to come by. You know, I had to read about them in zines or go to the library or have the privilege of taking a college class in these things. And now a lot of that information is out there, which is, which is also really exciting. So I think, of course, there's many challenges that having just sort of everything out there all the time (laughs) opens up, but there's also so much opportunity. And I think what is really important as creative and ambitious people with visions is how to filter through that and really focus because that's always a challenge. And I think now it can especially be a challenge. 
Absolutely. It's it's just interesting to see how things shift as the years go on. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. It also was, and then I, I don't want to sound like an old crabby, you know, 90s baby here, but it's interesting too how zines specifically have been kind of taken up as these sort of precious, arty publications. And while for a while my zine, which was called Indulgence, and I don't, I, I still sort of claim that I still publish it. I think I put the last epi- episode <laughs> issue out <laughs> a few years ago. I do a podcast too. I'll talk about it later. Um, but I always did try to ride that line between like zine and art book, but it's just been interesting to me that zines are also sort of more precious and cost like $20 sometimes. And I'm like, what? And while I am all for artists charging what they need, that is a, that is core tenant to me. Sometimes I was like, you know, the idea of zines is that they were accessible and maybe, you know, things cost money. (laughs) It's not as easy to scan the copy shop anymore. Uh, But it's just something I was thinking about because I came to them from this very like, I guess, radical and idea that this was making art and ideas accessible. But of course, like you said, it also just circulated in a pretty small community. So I'm not under the impression that this was like world changing for everyone, but it did change my world and sort of put me on a path that I'm very grateful for. Truly, I agree completely and I've had a really similar experience. So that's really interesting to hear you talk about that. So on this show, I love to celebrate the multifaceted human experience. So you've already shared you know, a bit about your background, but to get things kind of moving, I would love to hear something that most people might be surprised to learn about you <laughs> based on you know, the expectations they are creating around your identity as they listen. What's something surprising you'd like to share? You know, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about this and I was like, I just feel like I'm kind of an open book. Um, I, I'm a boxer. I'm training to box. I don't think I'll ever box in a fight. <laughs> I like my teeth and my nose, <laughs> but that is something that's really important to me. Uh, I did not grow up loving sports as many kind of people who identified as nerds did. So I think that's something that's, people might be surprised about. I grew up in a very rural area, which I talk about a lot, and I'm kind of transitioning to live back in a very different rural area. And to me, that's actually really important to me, even though as a teenager, I was like, get me out of here. I just want to go to New York City, you know, and absorb the diversity of culture and ways of thinking and ways of being creative that flourished there. But I think just to know that I value both sides of myself in that way. And then I think being from a rural area and not having a lot of things I was interested in the, like right at my fingertips, like really, really actually pushes me to help other people find the resources they need in ways they might not expect. So I don't know if that's surprising, but I don't talk about it a lot. So I did grow up, you know, camping, canoeing, hiking, doing all these things, being rained on a lot. And now I refuse, refuse to sleep in a tent. So (laughs) don't ask me (laughs) if there's not a roof, I'm not going. (laughs) So I did your time. You did your time. I did. I really, I really did my time y'all. It was my parents' dream 
to live there. And that was a great way to get outside and have a vacation and not spend a lot of money. But that is, that is not my dream. So (laughs) it's just something to think about. Um, And I think the final aspect, which I'm trying to embrace more is that I was a horse girl growing up. So I, my first uh, publication that I published with a friend of mine was called the Equine Inquiry. So it was a little newsletter all about horses. Love it. Love it. And you know, like, as you were saying, and as you pointed out there, dreams do evolve and we do as well. So you just released your new book, The Quit Your Day Job Workbook, a microcosm press. I'm curious, who did you write this book for? Great question. So this book I wrote for creative people, which I'm using very broadly. You may identify as an artist. You may identify as a community organizer. You may identify as a designer, a musician, you know, list goes on for people who look at the world and say, I want to create something to express myself, or I have a vision of how things could be different. You know, to get specific, I would say this book is, it's in English, so it's for an English-speaking audience. If anyone would like to translate it into another language, uh, the rights are available, so get in touch. Um, And I think for people who, again, have a vision or an impulse to create, but might not have had the experience to really get organized or have said, like, I don't know how to access the structures that enable me to get this out to a wider audience. So that could be anyone from myself as a younger person, which may be because you're younger, so you don't feel like those uh, structures of power are accessible to you, or you feel like your voice is marginalized in the mainstream, or you're trying something new that's outside of your regular kind of day job or day to day, and you want to break into this new community. So to me, that's who I wrote this book for. Or maybe, you know, you're an accountant and you're like, I got the financial side of this down, but I'm not sure about building my brand or my social media presence or the idea of a brand makes me want to run away screaming. So you have that creative impulse, but you need some help just getting organized, maybe learning some new skills or learning what you already know and thinking about how you apply it to specifically a creative or community minded project. Um, that's who I wrote it for. It's very broad. I know some books we we think really, really specifically about the audience, but my hope is that the audience for this book can really be a broad one. One thing I really loved about your book is that you, when you talk about the work that the reader is creating or desiring to create, you refer to that as their project. So not necessarily just a business. And of course, that project may be a business, but it is not necessarily. And I found that really refreshing. It was sort of a refreshing departure from viewing a personal endeavor as a pure moneymaker. I mean, I personally believe that actually it is possible to make money doing what you love and not get burnt out with just about anything. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of times the things that make us feel like we can't make a real living doing what we love, that it would ruin it for us. A lot of times those are based on beliefs we have. And yet I really did find this 
focus on entrepreneurship or on personal projects as creative endeavors to be really lovely. So I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on that, about sort of the the intersection between the creativity of a personal project or a business and, you know, where it starts to have to make money and kind of involve capitalism. How do you see the connection between those two? Thank you so much for bringing that up. That is something that's so important to me and is so at the core of this book is this idea that it is your project and it can be what you want it to be. So starting there, that not all creative endeavors have to make money, but they can if you want and need them to. So I think what was really important for me in defining it as a project is that it's up to you to decide And also that what you need that project to do may change throughout your life. Because as we've talked about, dreams evolve, we evolve as people, or the life cycle of the project as you learn more about it, as you learn more about who your audience is, how they're receiving the work that you make, as you make more and you realize like, oh, this is really affirming to me or no, you know, this is not (laughs) as fun or as interesting or as engaging as I thought it would be. So knowing that that's why it was really important for me to say project and to know while the title is nice and provocative about quit your day job, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's awesome. But if you want to have a sustainable creative practice, in addition to your day job, that's cool too. You know, if you are a freelancer and you're putting together lots of different projects, so you don't really have one day job, that's also great. You know, we're very multifaceted people, as you said. So I really wanted that to be clear and to say, hey, if you want to make this your business, your life, your job, like here are some steps to take to do it. If that's not where you're at right now, that's also cool, you know, but here's some ways to make this sustainable and make it so you're not just like dumping money and time into a project and feeling unrewarded from it. Or if you are, here's some ways to reassess. So inevitably, we do have to engage with capitalism, right? And I've been thinking a lot about this because let me come out and say it. I hate capitalism. I hate the late capitalist period that we're living in right now. It's destructive to our communities. It's destructive to our souls. If I can use that word, it's destructive to our earth, our environment. You know, there needs to be a different way. So in that, I also know that we have to find ways to survive within capitalism and not in a way where it's like, I'm just going to, you know, work with this system and make it work for me. Yes. And that's, you know, depending on privilege and all these other things, that's not always the option for people. So I just wanted to be aware of that. I know this is a lot to go into this one word project, but that was what was really important to me is to say like, we're operating in this system. We can imagine and work for a different one, but here are some techniques to survive and hopefully, you know, self-actualize and engage your creativity in this system that, uh, I think it can be kind of a thief of all joy, you know, and it doesn't have to be. Um, So this is, these are some ideas and some things that have worked for me, have worked for a lot of different creative people I talk to, but I'm also open to different ideas. And I know I have a particular 
perspective on it, which I'll, I'll say clearly, because I do have day jobs. I do have a day job. I'm going to come out and say it. But I think what's been important for me is defining where that day job fits in my life and what specifically it needs to do to support my creative practice, you know, and that it doesn't have to be everything for me. So I hope this book will also help folks make that calculation for themselves and to know what they want to work for, because that might not be possible now, but maybe in a few years. So it's, you know, it's not, it's about envisioning what that trajectory looks like, then breaking it down into concrete steps and adjusting as you go. Absolutely. And I'm so happy that you brought that up because the reality is, well, I shouldn't say the reality is. Reality is subjective after all. But in my view, I really see that a lot of those of us who kind of came of age in the anti-capitalist movement, um, a lot of us have sort of intentionally disempowered ourselves financially. And the funny thing about that is, is who wins when we intentionally or hell, unintentionally even, financially disempower ourselves? The system wins. (laughs) So actually you know, at the risk of sounding like a conspiracy theorist, I actually think it's in capitalism's best interest to keep us thinking that we can't participate because of our values. When in reality, that perception of our values, rather than the willingness to kind of allow those values to grow and to shift as we recognize our needs and seek to meet them. What happens instead so often is that we think, well, if I'm, you know, not earning as much as another person, or if I, you know, kind of deliberately financially disempower myself, which quite frankly is something that you can only do if you have a position of privilege, then other people will have more. When in reality, it actually keeps everyone oppressed because there aren't resources that can be redistributed. I cannot agree more. And I'm so happy you brought that up. And I do want to share a story. Uh, So in 2013, I released grow, which is being rebranded and re-released, which is so excited as quit your day job. And now the quit your day job workbook is like a brand new book. That's a compliment to, but could also operate independently of that. Just, But when I released this book grow about how to take your do it yourself project and passion to the next level and quit your job, I actually had a major reckoning with my job at the time. I had spent almost a decade working in the nonprofit arts in museums and arts nonprofits in New York City as an educator, uh, as a programmer, doing public programming at museums, as sort of doing educational content, and then doing national outreach and helping artists fundraise and run, frankly, a money-making program for a New York-based national arts nonprofit, um, which had a very toxic work environment, but they shall go unnamed. And um, I, what releasing Grow helped me see and talking to all these creative people and doing all these interviews with other people who are making sustainable creative lives is, and I also uh, learned this after doing my master's in public administration and learning some basics about economics, I realized like, oh, the longer I stay in this profession where I'm underpaid, severely underpaid, the worse my future looks. And actually, ironically, the less able I'll be to invest in the creative work of writing that I really want to do. 
And it seems so ironic, right? Like I'd chosen to work in the arts and because I specifically thought, oh, this is work I can do that's in line with my values, you know, and I have to have a job. So great. What's not to love? Well, there's an amazing Instagram folks should check out called Change the Museum. And all the stories that are posted on there, it's by um, Black, Indigenous, people of color, many LGBTQ+, talking about their experience working in museums. And it, it resonates so much to me. And I think like that is exactly why I had the ability, and this is a privilege, to be able to leave the nonprofit arts. And doing this book made me realize, like, okay, I'm not ready to quit my job, but I need to seriously shift what my career is, what kind of organizations I work for, and what my skills are actually worth or could be worth, you know? So there's, I'm not saying this applies to everyone, but that was super important to me because exactly, I was like, who's benefiting here? Not me, the system, you know? I And I think it was exactly because I grew up in this kind of punk anti-capitalist movement. So I thought, oh, by, you know, <laughs> not having enough to really live in New York or save for retirement, you know, I'm somehow being virtuous, you know, and, and living with my values. But I realized I had to expand what that looked like. And I know if anyone listens to uh, Nicole George's podcast, uh, Sagittarian Matters, she uses this phrase I absolutely love, which is punk damage. And I just think like, oh, yeah, that's such punk damage. So while I love the punks, you know, I still identify as one. I just, you know, that is my experience. So I share that story just to say like, we're all learning how to get through this and how to survive, right? Especially in 2020. So we can't say we need to be perfect in order to support ourselves, support our communities, and support our creative vision. And frankly, now, I feel like I'm just going on and on and on. Another thing I really thought about when I did my master's in public administration was how broken our system of uh, philanthropy is. Like, so one thing I really value about being paid more is that I can give more money away to causes I care about. But really what I want to fight for is not only that we are dependent upon philanthropy or even, you know, mutual aid, which I believe in wholeheartedly, but like that we build supportive systems. We should not be relying on private wealth to fund things like basic services. It's absurd. So anyway, <laughs> that's a tangent. Um, but I just, that was something I also realized like, okay, I can put more of my money where my values are, but I also really want to struggle for a place where people don't need to ask for money when they need healthcare, that we have healthcare, you know, and Anyway, end of rant. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think it's, you know, this is a really important conversation for us all to be having. I like what you call, I like how you called it punk damage. I know exactly what you're referring to. And this is a conversation that, you know, it comes up again and again when suddenly a lot of us realize that while our ethics and ideals are great, sometimes the way the conclusions that we've allowed those ethics and values to lead us to aren't always the most empowering. So as a business coach who believes and teaches and espouses that spiritual practices, our inner worlds, our mindset, that those are really the secrets to success in business, I really appreciate that you talked about envisioning success in the workbook. So I'd like to hear 
for you, what is the importance of envisioning your success at the beginning of a new project? And of course, you know, during a project and at the end of the project and during the whole, the whole journey, but what's the importance of that envisioning to you? And how have you used that? How have you seen yourself envisioning your success and seeing that that is a way to really bring your vision forward in a more robust way? I'm so glad you brought that up. And it's so important. And I think it's, first of all, I think unless you're clear on where you want to go, it's very hard to get there, right? And being clear can take so many forms, as you know, as someone with a spiritual practice and being a witch. So I want to say like, you know, the ways I do it might not work for everyone. And I think something that was really exciting for me in making the Quit Your Day Job Workbook is that my relationship to that envisioning success and envisioning in general has really matured over the seven years since I wrote the first book, Grow. So I got to put more in about that, which was really exciting to me. Um, So I think that just to speak personally first, uh, you know, when, so- well, maybe, and generally, sometimes things can start as sort of a scratch. You know, you, you know something isn't quite right, or you have this idea and you're kind of burning up about it, but you need, you know, also to actualize it, you need to get more specific. And what I've noticed in my life is that if I'm not crystal clear about what I want, I won't get it. Now, that's not like, oh, I'm manifesting a million dollars and I got it. I wish. Um, As I said once in my uh, arts administration job, when I knew it was time to go, an artist was like, but where is the funding? And I said, if I knew where it was, do you think I'd be sitting here talking to you? Which (laughs) is really terrible. I was like, there is no secret pot of money out there. I'm not holding out on you. But, you know, so if I could envision a million dollars and get it right now, great. But, sorry, knowing that, and in case you can't tell, I am kind of a cynical, I don't know, I come from New England, okay? So we're, and this like, (laughs) this like, you know, Protestant work ethic tradition, which is in some ways helpful. And in some ways, you know, I've spent a lot of hours in therapy and in my journal and with everything trying to undo some of this. (laughs) cultural conditioning. And I think where it can happen is, first of all, allowing ourselves to dream and to to vision. And it is it is ironic because my mother is also very New England, but she always would tell me this. And I was always the one being like, well, I don't know, mom, it sounds impossible. And I still sound like this. I'm sorry, I'm almost 40. And I'm like a perpetual teenager. But So, okay, (laughs) to rein it in a little bit. So really spending time with yourself and getting quiet, whatever that looks like for you, and daring to kind of go there and be like, what is the thing that I want that scares me? You know, and then letting yourself make a, a physical kind of representation for that. That might look like a vision board that you collage or a Pinterest board online if you're more comfortable with that, or lists in your journal, which is what I love to do, as well as vision boards, or, you know, a drawing, like, create that scary manifestation of your desires 
in a way that works for you. And then think about like, then it comes down to like thinking about what it really means and what you really need to get there. And I mean, I'd love to know, and I know you talk about a lot about steps you might take with your clients as a coach, but I think having that vision is also a touchstone. And it also gives you something to come back to when things get hard or frustrating and you run into roadblocks and you're like, why the hell am I doing this again? Oh, sorry. I hope it's okay. I said that. Um, So that's important. So for me, every year for the past six or seven years, I've actually had a vision board banking party at the beginning of the calendar year. And I have a bunch of femme-identified people over for brunch. I mean, this is not going to happen in COVID times. We're going to figure out a way to do it on Zoom, like everything else. And everyone brings magazines that they don't want. So it's also a way to help people get rid of things. And we just sit around and kind of eat food, talk about our dreams for the year, cut up magazines, collage vision boards, and then kind of share out what they are. And it's always so surprising what comes out. And I've sort of charted how my themes change throughout the year and what years and what stays constant. And I then put that vision board on my wall above my desk so I can look at it and remind myself what was important for me this year. Now, of course, especially in years like 2020, that may shift and change. But again, it gives you a touchstone to say, what do I want? Where do I want to go? And kind of what's driving me and gets into those deeper passions and motivations as well. Sometimes in a way you don't even know until you look at what you've made, whether it's a vision board or some free writing or lists, and then it's like, whoa. So I think that has to be the basis of everything. I I think sometimes when we want something, like I know, because I've switched jobs a lot. I'm going to give a really practical example. And I know until I'm really clear on what that next role is, what type of company, how big, what I want to be doing at that job, what kind of team I want to work on, how much money I want to make, how much vacation time I want to have, what the culture of the company is like, what kind of area they're operating in. I'm not going to find that job. And it's so frustrating. And it's like, you know, job searching sucks. Um, but it it also comes down to that vision. And it it's sort of like, easier to say no to things then too, because you're like, well, maybe this or maybe that. So it also helps keep you on a path towards what you really want. So that was a lot, (laughs) but I'm clearly very, very passionate about this. And the book breaks down these visioning exercises into like a free writing exercise where you imagine success, a vision board making and how to, if you're like me and you're like, "Mm, that sounds real hippie and woo woo, but newsflash, I actually am totally a hippie set up my compost bin over the weekend. So exciting. Um, (laughs) You know, it, it makes it like concrete. So it doesn't just float out there in the ether, but you can also bring it back and ground it in, in yourself and in your life. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, I guarantee you that nothing you said sounds to any type of way to anyone listening, because we talk about some really out there things on this show. So you don't need to worry. (laughs) Awesome. I I do want to say like, I'm just, I am a pragmatist, but I'm, it's just so important to, to get out there, you know, and, and, and wherever that is for you and face the things that are so scary because those are the things you really want. 
And as you move towards them, they become less scary. And then maybe they just become your every day. And you get to keep imagining and moving towards bigger. And that's so exciting. I like what you said about these practices being touchstones for us. And I always think it's just so interesting to hear how people use these practices in their lives. Because a lot of times you hear, you know, make a vision board and it can be really easy to write that off. And of course, that's not the only way you, you know, can go about these practices. But it's really fun to see, you know, concrete examples of how some people use these practices in their lives. So let's talk about how we can create values-driven projects and businesses. How do our core values act as sort of a North Star, which is something actually you say in the book as well, and I love that term, a North Star as we create projects and businesses that reflect those values? Great question. And again, thank you so much for bringing this up. I, again, think this is one of the core ideas in the book. I think coming from the nonprofit world, I did learn, you know, how important a mission statement was and how grounding it could be. So I think similar to having your vision, when you clarify what your values are and how you want to enact them in your business, it helps you say yes. And it helps you say no. And it helps you filter out like, okay, this could be a cool idea, but does it reinforce these values? Like, is it worth me spending again, my time, my energy, my money on yes or no? Why not? You know, so again, it, it, I guess it just really is a North star. And in the book, I help break down um, how to clarify these. So I, I like to make lists. So, you know, what are the values that are important to me? If I say, you know, I'm a feminist, well, what does that really mean in terms of my values? You know, and how would I want a project or business I'm building to reflect my version of feminism? So it's really about breaking things down and then honing them down to sort of a little nugget that you could like tape on your computer or put on your bulletin board or tape on your mirror to remind you what drives you. So it kind of goes from like the very expansive vision to a very focused set of values that you can use to say like, okay, is what I'm doing in line with these? Yes, no, let me gut check this. Cool, I can move forward or like, nope, not not within the scope of what I'm doing right now. So I know that's a shorter answer, but um, I think if you're confused about what that might look like, look at organizations that you admire. So that may be community groups, it may be companies. A lot of even for-profit companies have like mission statements now. And then what's always fun is to say like, okay, they have this mission statement. A lot of times it's right on their website and they're about us. How does what they do ladder up to that? And do I think it does? Like, do I think they actually work within their values? Um, And that can be a helpful exercise to kind of see what other people are doing and then like how you might want to do that yourself. I, I always just think making things, you know, practical and seeing how people apply these kind of heady concepts or buzzwords in the real world is really, really helpful. I love it. I'm a Capricorn. So I'm constantly, you know, fielding that boundary, which is, of course, is never a clear boundary between 
you know, how we can take these big ideals and bring them down to earth, because I think it's so important to do so. And also to kind of quit with this false dichotomy that it's either idealistic or practical. It's either spiritual or practical. <laughs> I feel like practical is always the opposite of anything that's fun in most people's minds. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> It really doesn't. It really doesn't. And I appreciate that conversation about how these, you know, how these different things ground our projects and allow us to have something to come back to when we don't always feel super connected to that vision, that initial vision that we had when we got started. I loved your portrayal in the book as branding, of branding, as giving a project an identity. So from a more spiritual perspective, I often talk about how businesses have their own souls and how a lot of times, you know, we think about like a business plan, but when's the last time you stopped and asked your business what it wanted to do? <laughs> and it's for me, like a really fun way to kind of get outside of just the ego and what we think needs to happen. I'm someone who tends to be a bit controlling, I'll blame my Capricorn son. And when I end up in that space, I don't always make the best decisions. And sometimes when I can zoom out of it and really think, what does my business want? Or what's the highest vision of my business? That's when I get the really good answers. So in your book, you talk about this as the, the project's identity. So I have a question for you. In your opinion, do projects' identities emerge as our own creations? Or do they sometimes have a life of their own? Amazing question. I love it. I love it. Especially as a marketer and someone who, who works a lot with, with brand, this idea of brand. I think that, and I actually think this is really important, similar to what you said about, you know, what does my business want? What does my business want to be? Where does my business want to go? I think our projects and our brands actually grow separately from us. Now, I think they can inhabit, as we've talked about, our values. They can fuel our vision of success. But I actually think it's very important that they're also kind of their own entities. And why I say this too is because we are so complex as people. And to pour your entire identity into a project, into a business, might not be the healthiest thing. Now, I know <laughs> in these days of, of influencers and such, there's a lot of people blurring that line that would also say their influencer brand is not actually who they are as an entire human being at all. But it's, it's, it's dangerous because we do see these sort of conflations of people's identities with their brand or their product or whatever they're pushing. So I would say, you know, free yourself from that because also it means that your project, your business doesn't have to be everything to everyone, just like you don't either. And it doesn't have to be everything to you. So <laughs> what does this have to do with branding? Well, I think that can help make a more coherent brand identity, whether that's your visual identity or your messaging, you know, because it's really about not you personally, but that project, that business, what it's doing or you want it to do in the world. And I think branding can be a really annoying word, but it's really like 
like you said, and that the book says, it's about giving that project an identity and sharing that with people and letting people know very clearly what it is so they can know, you know, oh, is this for me? Is this something I'm looking for? Is this in line with my values and vision? Does this help me? Great. Or like, "Mm, not for me, you know, and that helps you find your audience too and build your community. I hope that's clear enough. Please let me know if you'd like me to break that down a little bit more. No, that's very clear. And you, know, I agree. I think people get really scared by that word branding. And it's a real shame because in my view, and, and this is reflected in what you're saying as well, branding is just figuring out exactly who you are, or in this case, what your project is, and turning the volume up on it, making it even more authentic. It's about identifying, especially when it comes to personal brands, like you're talking about, you know, the influencer age, the most successful personal brands, no, brands are the ones. The most successful ones aren't bland, bland, right? (laughs) Sorry, come on. Exactly. They're not bland. They are exactly who that person is, but turned up to 110. And really branding is an invitation to view the soul of a person, of a business, of a project. And like you said, when you're able to do that, then you can decide, oh, this is for you or this isn't. And what's really exciting is that the more we really understand and approach this place of, you know, radical self-acceptance around our own identities, the more we can brand that and show that to others and attract the exact people who want our gifts. Absolutely. That's exactly it. And I think too, it's, I would encourage folks and I have to do this practice with your friends or people who know you really well, kind of ask them if you're struggling, like, what is the brand for this? What is my brand? Who am I? Who am I to others? Work with other people who have kind of an outside look at you, but can also (laughs) feel safe enough with you to to tell you the truth, right? And, or the, the truth as they see it, to give you actionable, specific, and hopefully kind feedback. Because I know I'm a Gemini. I do a lot of things. I get excited about a lot of different ideas. So it's been really important for me to sit down with someone else or other people and really figure out like, what's the through line for all of this? And maybe what kind of sits outside of it? You know, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, for a long time, being a horse girl (laughs) sat outside of it. How do I incorporate that back into my personal brand? I don't know. Horse girls get a weird reputation, which I I don't mind. It's just, (laughs) it just maybe wasn't where I was trying to go uh, at one point in my life. Or, you know, or maybe there's things that are really just for you personally, and you don't need to kind of, like you said, turn them up to 11. Um, Like for a long time, I did a food blog with an ex-partner of mine. So I really wanted like this food blog thing to be part of my brand and my identity. And now I really don't, you know, I couldn't care less. I like making food. I like making food for my friends. It's not really part of my identity. You know, I don't need to be seen as that's some part of the what I'm offering to folks. But, you know, at one point it was. So that's another thing. Remember, these things can also change and grow. I mean, just look at any brand you admire that's been around for a while. It's a fun exercise. You know, look how their logo is shifted. Look at how their sort of tagline of how they describe themselves is shifted. Think about the different 
you know, advertising or marketing campaigns they've done, you know, again, how do things shift, you know, and that can really help you think about, oh, it's okay, I can evolve my brand as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So as we close out, Eleanor, please share with the listeners where they can find not just your freshly released books, but also your work in general, where they can find you on social media and anything else exciting you have coming up on the horizon. Oh my gosh, thanks. So on Instagram and reluctantly on Twitter, you can follow me at KillerFemme, that's K-I-L-L-E-R-F-E-M-M-E. Yes, I've had that handle since I was 17. I'm quite proud of that. <laughs> and my <laughs> my website is eleanorcwhitney.com, where you can find more about me uh, and writing I've done. You can also find the book, the Quit Your Day Job workbook and Quit Your Day Job at microcosmpublishing.com. It's out now. So I would be so honored if you ordered them. And I would love to know how they're helpful, you know, what questions you have. I'm thinking a lot about, do I want to do some like Zoom accountability sessions for readers? So if you have something you think would be helpful to you, you know, drop me a line. I'd love to know. Um, And you can also find on my website, And also wherever you listen to your podcasts, my podcast, Riot Woman, which is interviews actually not unlike this one with creative people who have been influenced by punk and Riot Girl and other kind of underground movements who are reflecting on how those movements have influenced them as an adult, whether they are an activist, a musician, a filmmaker, a tattoo artist, they kind of run the gamut. I'm working on the second season now, um, but the other interviews were from last year and I would be so flattered if you took a listen to Riot Woman. And speaking of that, I have a book by the same name coming out next year, Riot Woman. And it is a collection of essays that are reflecting on the cultural impact of the Riot Girl and punk movements and kind of 1990s punk activism in general and how that could apply now or maybe where it doesn't apply now. (laughs) So that I'm really excited about that book. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more to share soon. So, you know, please follow me probably on Instagram is the the most active platform I use and uh, please keep in touch. I, Oh, I also have a newsletter, gosh, which you can sign up for on my website or through my Instagram. And I send it out monthly ish. So I won't inundate your inbox. And I'm a marketer by trade. I love an email newsletter. I try to write a really concise, personal, actionable email newsletter. And boy, I could talk for an hour about email newsletters. So uh, I'd love love it if you wanted to subscribe to mine. Uh, So that's where you can find me. So in summary, (laughs) at Killer Femme on Instagram and Twitter, eleanorcwhitney.com to find more about me, sign up for my newsletter and access the Riot Woman podcast and Microcosm Publishing to order the Quit Your Day Job workbook and Quit Your Day Job. And thank you so much for having me. This is such delight. Thank you so much for joining me. It was a great conversation. And of course, as always to the listeners, 
all of those links that were mentioned will be in the show notes. So feel free to check them out there. Thank you all so much for listening. And I can't wait to talk to you all again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for tuning in to Work Like a Witch. If you loved the show, be sure to leave me a review on iTunes to spread the word. Talk to you next Friday.